Welcome to the Rebel Speaker Podcast, where we break the tried and true presentation rules so that you can create a speech that stands out, makes an impact, and positions you as the go-to expert. And now your host, the instigator of the presentation rebellion, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Hello, hello, Rebel Speakers. Today, we are kicking off a new series on the Rebel Speaker Podcast called the Movement Makers Spotlight. A movement maker is a catalyst who uses their message to change the world for the better. Using the three-word rebellion framework, we dive deep into the change these movement makers want to create. And I am so excited because our very first guest is Amber Ray. She is called a millennial motivator by Fortune and the Brene Brown of Wonder by Mind Body Green. Amber is an author, artist, and speaker whose work invites you to live your truth, befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. Amber helped launch six best-selling books as chief evangelist of Seth Godin's publishing experiment and started an accelerator for your life called The Bold Academy. Her upcoming book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, well, that title had (laughs) me at hello. Seriously, (laughs) as soon as I found out about this book, I pre-ordered it because I am a worrier. I learned that habit from my mom, and I often wonder how worry holds me back. And not only that, I see worry so much with my clients. Like, what if they reject me? What if I put myself out there? What if I never get there? What I love about Amber's work and the movement she's creating and her three-word rebellion is she's connecting you with your voice of worry and wonder. She teaches you to listen to your emotions rather than silence them, which I was a big culprit of, (laughs) and encourages you to seize your dreams. So welcome to the Rebel Speaker Podcast, Amber. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I am too, because Choose Wonder Over Worry. It's just such a beautiful example of a three-word rebellion because it's calling in the right people, those of us who are warriors out there, which are most of us. And it really does a great job of painting a picture of what we can do instead. So tell me, Amber, what are you rebelling against? I am rebelling against our societal obsession with positivity and finding the silver lining in everything. You know, even how I came to this message of choose wonder over worry is that I was trying to get rid of and push away my worry and my anxiety and my fear for most of my life, which only led to more anxiety, led to, you know, struggles with eating disorders and constantly feeling not enough or unworthy. And I kept trying to like cut off these parts of myself and see the positive in everything. And what I ultimately realized is that I was just like living in this delusion and not embracing or allowing or accepting all of who I am. So I'm rebelling against this desire to cut off or to get rid of or to, you know, become fearless to get rid of these aspects of ourselves. Oh, I love that. So a follow-up question, was there like a breaking point when you realized that you couldn't go on like this anymore, that you couldn't just keep pushing these emotions away? 
Oh yeah. It was my early twenties. I was addicted to Adderall and I was taking Adderall to get more done because I was a high, like a hyper performer to get more done and to stay thin because I thought that my, the size of my body was equal to the amount of love that people could give me. So I had all of these worries around if I don't perform, I won't be worthy of love. If I'm not thin enough, I won't be worthy of love. And so it led to all of these toxic behaviors using Adderall, struggles with eating disorders, pushing over work and underplay. And, and that really all culminated in this moment. It led to a full-on panic attack. And Ooh. I think the major breakdown was like, yes, there was a panic attack. And then I was like, okay, but my Adderall, which was prescribed to me, which I convinced a you know, psychotherapist that I, in college, that I needed it when it was just a way, you know, it was a symptom of my toxic worry. But I started forging prescriptions and then got caught. And that was the moment when I realized, whoa, because I actually thought I was going to get arrested and go to jail. But when they called the doctor, the doctor said, we'll take care of it. Like, it's fine. We'll, we'll take care of it on our end. And what I realized in that moment when I thought I was going to go to prison is that I'd been putting myself in a prison all along mm. through this addiction and through this, these escape mechanisms of trying to really just not feel my feelings. It was as simple as like, I didn't want to feel the discomfort. I didn't want to feel different grief and pain and loss. And I thought I could just numb or push it away. Yeah. And I think that is a very, very common thing in our society. Like keep a stiff upper lip. You know, you just plow through even the most devastating losses, let alone like little disappointments or these concerns we have that I'm never going to be loved. Like we don't allow ourselves to actually feel that. That creates that toxic environment that you're talking about. So I I know in the book, you talk about the myths of worrying. So what are some of those myths that we worriers should be aware of so that we don't find ourselves going down that path to toxic decisions? Yeah. So the biggest one is the myth of not enough. So I'm not good enough, smart enough, thin enough, powerful enough, influential enough. You know, my story isn't interesting enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. That not enoughness, that scarcity Mm -hmm. is what I found at the root of all all worry. And, you know, I've worked with thousands of people over the year and whether they were the CEO of a top organization and had so much abundance in terms of money and power, they still had this story of not enoughness or whether they came from nothing. You know, it was like I was meeting with people across all different backgrounds and perspectives. And there was still this story of not enoughness, which that's something that's been baked into our society for thousands of years. And that story will likely persist beyond us being here, but we get to choose if we want to buy into the story of not enough or not. The major one is like, where is, you know, I always say like, where, how is the myth of not enough playing out in your life? Like, when are you telling yourself that you're not good enough or thin enough or powerful enough? Or, you know, like I often hear, I don't have enough Instagram followers to be able to like do this. Like you can show up in ways like that. Or like, I don't have enough influence in my company to speak up and have my voice be heard. I'm not a good enough writer or artist or entrepreneur to try this thing. And so Mm -hmm. it's recognizing when that not enough voice is speaking up and saying, okay, maybe, or this is where wonder comes in, or like, how else might I look at this? What else might I try? Like, maybe I'm not the best writer, but how do I get better? I just read Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money. And she talks about that very fact that scarcity is just ingrained in us. And the first thought we have in the morning is like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. 
So immediately we're in that not enough mindset like, oh, I see that with my clients and speakers. Who am I to be on the stage? Which is another like imposter complexy thing, which I know is another myth you talk about in the book. But there's all of these, like we're just wired to be not enough. And so that brings us to the next question. And you've already hinted at it. So what's the change you want to create? Oh, there's so many. The, the change I want to create is for us to get curious about these worries and these parts of ourselves that we tend to deny and push away. Because again, I don't think the path is to like, oh, I'm not going to worry anymore. But to be like, where is this worry coming from? Where did I learn this? This story of I'm not ready, like when actually who told me that? And so it's having this sense of curiosity and wonder about these aspects of ourselves that aren't serving us anymore. And then with that comes feeling those feelings that are associated with it. I feel like if we can just, you know, feelings are fleeting, they come and go, but it's the Mm -hmm. story about them that sticks. So it's like, you know, I lost my father when I was a kid. The fact was, is that my father died. And the story I created is that men I love will abandon me. And it took me... You know, it took me 20 years to even like understand how that was playing out in my life in so many ways and affecting every relationship I entered into. And then I had to go through my, you know, my early 20s, the process of like feeling the grief that I didn't allow myself to feel because I thought it meant I was weak or it was bad or I wasn't supposed to feel it. You know, again, there's like, there's what happens and that there's what we make what happens mean. And then that becomes the story that we live. Yeah. I heard a statistic that we actually can only feel an emotion for about 90 seconds and then it leaves our body, but (laughs) it's our brain that actually keeps it going. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, I had a mentor once tell me when I gave him my writing that, oh, Amber, no one cares about your story. He probably meant something like he didn't mean to say your story doesn't matter, but I made that mean my story didn't matter and I should never share my personal story again. That's mm-hmm. what my brain interpreted because I was like, oh, he doesn't think I'm worthy. You know, instead of feeling that for the period of time or even getting curious and asking him like, oh, that's interesting. What do you mean when you say that? Or tell me more about your point of view. Instead of getting, again, choosing wonder or getting curious, I immediately like grabbed onto the worry ran with it and then didn't write for three years. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Cause it's so funny you brought that up because that's one of the things I say. It's like your story doesn't matter unless, cause there's the big unless there, like you can teach the audience something from it. Yeah. And that's always like the turnaround I want to give for people, but hearing just like your story doesn't matter eh, then yeah. nothing else. And you're like, Oh yeah, that means I don't matter. So. I don't matter. I'm not going to write. Exactly. Which what he was really, he was probably saying like, hey, land the takeaways a little bit like, like tactically, he probably meant like, make the takeaway a little bit more clear for the reader. It was like, (laughs) probably, you know what I mean? But he instead just like was giving quick feedback. Yeah. He's like, oh, your story doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Which is way different than tell me what the takeaway is from this story. Yeah really concrete and clear for the audience. And then like not to write for three years after that. That's, it shows the power of the words. Toxic worry. Yeah. And the worry. I've had a few people on where we've talked about worry and rumination before. And I'm always curious, like one of the things I've noticed about worry is that when I start worrying, it's like I cannot pull myself out of it until I become aware. So 
how do you become aware that there are these worried thoughts going in your head so that you can actually choose wonder? There's a few ways. First, it can be actually like you hear almost like a voice talking, like the voice in your head. You'll start to notice that it's making all these, this isn't good, you can't say that, oh my God, they're going to judge you. And just noticing that real time. And then from there, it's filtering. And so I always ask myself, the first question is, is this useful? The second question is, is there any productive action I can take right now? Because worry can be useful. You know, worry is wired in our brains to protect us and keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And worry, like when we're standing at the edge of a mountain and we're getting too close and worry's like, yo, back off. Like that's, <laughs> that's important. Or if we sit down and we meet someone and we're like in the dating phase of our lives and the person says to us, I'm never interested in falling in love with someone, you know, worry might be like, not your person. And that's super helpful. But what often happens is that a deadline is coming up or we're putting out a piece of work that has us feel seen or we're getting on stage to share a story and to you know guide the audience. And it triggers that same threat mechanism system in our brain, mm-hmm. which has us feel like this fight or flight in the world is ending. And so it's again asking like, is this useful? Which often like, if I'm writing and a, the perfectionist is saying, this is terrible, that's actually not useful. And is there any productive action I can take right now? It's like, yeah, to keep writing. And so it's filtering those. But then if, you know, some people aren't as in tune with understanding that there's a voice that is talking. And so the other way that I'll notice it is in the body. So like, is my body clenching up? Are my shoulders tightening? Am I like, all of a sudden, is my heart beating fast? And so it's getting in touch with those bodily sensations Mm -hmm. and noticing what's happening in the body. And Dr. Dan Siegel, his big approach is name it to tame it. Neuroscience shows that when we can name what our vividly name what we're experiencing in the moment, we actually can reduce our sensation by up to 50%. And so if we're all of a sudden shaking with worry or our heart's beating really fast, and if we can say, right now my heart's beating really fast, I'm noticing butterflies in my stomach, I'm noticing that my shoulders are tightening up and I'm getting in this fight or flight stance. And oh, now that I'm in touch with my body, I'm noticing that there's a voice inside my head saying, you're not good enough. When we can do that, what happens is that our emotional brain begins to relax and we can get back into our body and back into the present moment where we like are recentered. We're not in reaction mode anymore. We can come back to the here and now. And then we can say like, okay, wait, what's my next move? What do I want to do next? I love that because I've noticed as I've been wrangling my own worry and experiencing it. I'll get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I'll come back to bed and all of a sudden it starts and I notice like, oh, my shoulders are so tense. I'm laying in bed and my body is super tense. I'm like, okay, let's breathe. Let's release the tension. And as soon as I start doing that, the thoughts start slowing down a little bit and I'm like, all right. And usually in the middle of the night, your next step is to go back to sleep. Right, right, right. (laughs) Because that worry is never productive at 3 a.m. So I love how you explain it and what questions to ask yourself and how we Mm -hmm. can really get back into our body so that we can make, you're making an active choice at that point. Right. You're saying, okay, do I want to like pay attention to this worry or do I want to start questioning it? Yeah. And then, so can I share one more technique? Oh yeah. Once you've named it and like that can be as simple as like naming your experience, or if you want to take it a step further, you can actually name and create characters out of your different worries. So like my perfectionist is Grace and I've like, she's this 30 something British woman who has short blonde hair (laughs) and wants everything in like a perfect neat box. Mm -hmm. And so anytime that my perfectionist starts chiming in or I'm trying to like obsessively make something perfect, I'll be like, oh, 
Grace, I see you. What's going on? And Grace will, you know, and I realize that Grace just like really cares about the end product and wants it to be really high quality. And so I'll have to remind Grace like, hey, thanks for caring so much. And I need space to get messy so we can get to that place. So it's naming it can again be the vividly describing your experience mm -hmm. or getting to the place where you can actually like, oh, I'm, you know, really anxious and tight right now. and being, I had to name a character, who would this be? And like, so it might be anxious Annie or whatever it is. Because then once it's a character again, because so much of this is what's happening in our brain. And when we can create distance from something happening inside of our body to actually a character that we can dialogue with. Mm -hmm. it, it again, it creates that distance. And so that's where the next step is to dialogue with it and to be like, hey, anxiety, like what's going on? What are you trying to tell me? I see you. Thanks for being here and trying to keep me safe. <laughs> You know, for me, because I do the character thing too, like I have Sally Poopy Pants who hangs out. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the one who's always, I'm writing the three word rebellion book right now. And she's like, ooh, this isn't very good. And I'm like, okay, Sally, I hear you. I know you want it to be good. I know you want us to do a great job. Yeah. But this is the shitty first draft and it's yes. not supposed to be good. So we're okay. We love you. Thank you. It is, it's amazing how when you put it outside of yourself and you see it as this other entity, you can actually deal with your worry. Uh, honestly, I feel sometimes like some genuine love and appreciation yeah. for it. When we were little kids and we were about to run across the road and there's a car coming, our parents are going to scream for our safety to get our attention. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes these emotions are screaming for our attention because they think we're in danger. Yes. And so when we can have compassion, like, oh, you know, I really appreciate you wanting to keep me safe, but like the shitty first draft is not going to kill us. Mm -hmm. Like again, it creates that distance and allows us to calm and get back into the moment in our bodies. Love it. So final question, if everyone acted on your message, what would the world be like? <sighs> What's coming to mind is they would be free from their suffering. Mm. And not that the suffering would not exist because suffering is a part of life, but they wouldn't be trapped and stuck by their suffering. They would be in relationship with it. And as a result of that, they would shift their relationship to the suffering and it would create a sense of freedom and expansion. And they'd be able to create space for the fear just as much as the curiosity, create space for the worry just as much as the wonder. You know, I always have the visual of when we can embrace the fullness of who we are, it's like allowing every part of us to have a seat at the table of our heart. Mm. Whether it's shame is allowed there as much as compassion, perfectionism is allowed there as much as courage. What happens is that we embrace all of ourselves and we find so much freedom and love inside of ourselves that that beams out into the world. So good. I'm going to leave it there because I think that's a beautiful <laughs> way to end this interview. So Amber, tell us how we can find you online and about your book. Yeah. So Choose Wonder Over Worry out May 15th. You can find it at choosewonder.com and Amazon and Barnes and Noble and every retailer that has a book. And then online, I'm Instagram, hey, Amber Ray, A-M-B-E-R-R-A-E -E with hey in the beginning. And I, I love Insta for stories and images and visuals and storytelling. And then my personal site's amberay.com. And I'm going on a seven city tour. 
from like May 15th till June 15th. Would love to see people live if I'm coming to your city. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. Go and read her book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. It has beautiful stories. It has actionable insights like we got in this interview. (laughs) And it is well worth your time, especially if worry is holding you back. So thank you, Amber. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Speaker Podcast. If you're loving this show, please rate and review it on iTunes. It is the best way for speakers like you to find out about us. And you can learn more about Communication Rebels coaching and consulting services that help business owners and speakers make a bigger impact with their message while building a speaking business on their own terms at drmichellemazur.com. 